coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 5th of November, 2023, until he comes. First Sunday of the month finds us back again at the Lord's table. And I, when I was preparing for this time, uh, picked up a theme that I picked up in the passage uh, that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning about the idea of we show the Lord's death or we proclaim it until he comes. So we'll be looking at that theme until he comes. But let's go first of all in our Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And here we find the, the setting for that first Lord's Supper. And it was in the context of Passover. And in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is meeting with his disciples. And uh, we read down in verse 14 uh, the context here. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I des earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it uh, until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, This is my body, which is broken, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after he had eaten, saying, This cup shall be poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of one who betrays me is with me at the table. And he goes on to then describe uh, Judas' betrayal. So we see here in the upper room, and this is not unfamiliar territory to us, in the upper room, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, it is Passover time. He has gathered his disciples they are going to participate in Passover, something that they have done on a yearly basis all their life. But this time, there's something different going on, for Jesus takes the elements of the Passover, two specifically, the broken matzah bread and the fruit of the vine, especially the third cup of the Passover, and points to himself, his body being broken, his blood being shell, uh, shed. And then, as we would go from here, as often as we would do this, we'd do it in remembrance of him. Now, Jesus had shared this Passover meal, and it's found in Luke, but that particular thing is recorded in Luke, but want to turn to John chapter 14, for in that same upper room time, 
when he's with his disciples and having just participated in the Passover meal, he's sitting around now after the, the food and after the quote-unquote service that was done there in the upper room. And he begins to talk to his disciples about what's coming. He had already spoken on many occasions about the fact that he was to go and he was going to go to Jerusalem. He was going to go and he was going to be put to death. He was going to be buried and then he would rise again. That's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing when reality hits. And Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples because he knows from this upper room he's going to go to the garden. At the garden, he's going to be betrayed with a kiss. He's going to go through the mockery of a trial. He's going to be taken out and he's going to be crucified. And he knows what his disciples are about to face in reality. And so he gives them comfort because they are going to be like sheep without a shepherd. They're going to lose their leader. And so in John chapter 14, we have this very familiar passage. In John 14, verse 1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't even be concerned about this to the point where it will upset you. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms or dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He says, if it weren't so, would I have even talked about going to prepare a place for you? Is basically the question. But I did talk to you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And so the Lord promises to his disciples a time and a place when he would come back and receive his disciples, his followers, and take them home. So we come to our first point here is that after the Passover, Jesus promised to return to those who followed him. Okay? And the idea was he would return to take them home to be with him. Jesus promised to return for those for those who followed him. So one of the questions that comes up, especially on the first Sunday of the month, is as we share in the Lord's Supper, the question should arise, uh, why do we continue to participate in the Lord's Supper? I mean, that happened back some 2,000 years ago. Why does the Lord want us to do it? And to that end, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you would, 1 Corinthians 11. Now, you know as well as I know that in 1 Corinthians, we, we have an account of what was going on in, 
in the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth didn't have the greatest reputation. Well, Corinth didn't have a great reputation. The church certainly didn't as well. They were, they were concerned with all sorts of issues. In fact, you can almost divide up the, the book of 1 Corinthians by the little phrase, now concerning this, and Jesus, then Paul then basically takes another topic and says, now I want to talk to you about this problem. Now I want to talk to you about this issue. Now I want to talk to you about that. And he, you can almost divide up the book of <clears throat> Corinthians that way. And in chapter 11, he's dealing with an issue that had come up in, in the church. And that was early on in the church when uh, pressure started to be applied to the church. The church, we see, responds by pooling resources to help meet the needs of other believers. And this continued, this started in Jerusalem with the early church and continued through the book, uh, the New Testament, as we see it spread out to the other churches. One of the ways that they would know that they were disciples of the Lord is people would see them having love for one another. And one of the ways that they would do that is they would share a meal. They would gather together and share a meal. But what was going on in Corinth is they would uh, be bringing like lunch boxes. And they, they would, some would have hardly anything to put in the lunch box. And others would have not a seven course meal, but a good outlay of stuff, but they weren't sharing. And Paul gets after them in chapter 11, talking to them about what kind of problem this created in the church for them to, to do this. And he said, basically, you need to share it or need to not do it at all. He says, because what it's doing is causing all kinds of issues. And it says, especially in the setting of the Lord's table. And so we come to his teaching here in 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, verse 17. He says, in following instructions, I do not commend you because when you ought to come together, it is not for the better, for, but for the worse. For when the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who, who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, is it not the Lord's Supper that you eat? For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink at? He's not condemning a shared meal. What he's condemning is the not sharing meals. Do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? I will not. He says, then he moves in and talk about the Lord's Supper. He says, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And so now he hearkens back to that passage in Luke that we were referring to earlier and says, this is something that the Lord instituted. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. How often should we do the Lord's table? Doesn't say. He says, but when you do it, do it this way. This is what you're supposed to do. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, and here's, the, here's our line, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So why do we participate in the Lord's Supper? It says, until he comes, we are to proclaim his great sacrifice on our behalf. We don't often think of the Lord's Supper that way. We think of it as a commemoration, as a reminder of an ordinance maybe to, to participate in. But very rarely do we look at the Lord's Supper and think of it in terms of a proclamation. In fact, the word that is used here, we proclaim the Lord's death until he come, is the same word that is often used in other places to talk about preaching. So this becomes an opportunity to declare to others about the Lord's sacrifice. And what is it? Until he comes, we are to proclaim his great sacrifice on our behalf. It is something that we need to do to get the word out. And who needs to hear it? We all do. We all do. We need to be reminded on a regular basis why are we in the place that we are? And I don't mean location. I mean those who are saved. How did we get here? Well, we came by way of Jesus Christ from a position of sin, lostness, deserving judgment, and that was all meted out on the cross on Jesus Christ. And the innocent died for the guilty. And when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are proclaiming that truth. I am one who needed a savior. He is the one who provided salvation. It was through his shed blood. It was through his broken body that my salvation was secured. And as we participate in the Lord's Supper, we are reminding ourselves and proclaiming to others, we just didn't come in here because we're a bunch of people decide to get together and worship. We come as a, as a group of redeemed people who definitely needed salvation. It wasn't a thing that we just said, hey, you know, what do we do? Oh, you don't have anything to do on Sunday morning. Why don't we do a church service? No. We remind each other time and time again that the way we came in is when we humbled ourselves and acknowledged our sin and, ex and acknowledged his great sacrifice on our behalf. And so we as the scripture says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
this sacrifice until he comes. And we're harking back now to John chapter 14. He says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So this ought to raise a question in your heart and mind. Maybe a couple. And it occurred in the early church. One of them was, if he's returning to his followers, what about those that died? What do, what do you do with those that have passed away? We say the Lord is coming to take his, his own home, his followers home. What about those that had died? What's, how do you answer that question? Well, got a couple passages, as you might suspect. First, First Thessalonians 4, that, that was read for us, and we follow along in our scripture reading. He talks about the Lord returning. And he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, about those who are asleep, a euphemistic term to describe someone who has passed away, someone who has died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He says there ought to be a difference between your sorrow and unbeliever sorrow. Unbelievers sorrow because they have lost a loved one that they will never see again. They're gone, they're finished, they're in their mind's eye. This was the end, cut off. For a believer, it's something completely different. We say, yes, we miss them because they're no longer here. We can't talk with them, we can't share with them. But we are a people of hope. And we know that we will see them again one day. And, and Paul writes here, he says, don't grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare by the word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, and here's key, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, Encourage one another in these words. Paul tells us here, he, until Christ comes, until he comes, we are not to worry about those followers who have died, for they will be resurrected. They will be resurrected. We see that carried out as well in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul picks up the theme of the resurrection. And while the chapter 15 is full of a discussion on the resurrection, I'm going to pull out just a little segment. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, 
He's talking about whether the resurrection is true or not. And he says, if the dead are not raised, in verse 16, not even Christ has been raised. In verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. He said, you know that distinction I made in the book of Thessalonians where he talks about don't grieving as others? He says, we are just like others if there's no resurrection. Because how can we have hope that, that we will see our loved ones again if Christ hasn't been raised? He says, but Christ has been raised. He goes on from there to say, even so, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. And so both in um, 1 Thessalonians 4 here in 1 Corinthians 15, we have the affirmation, we're not to worry about those who have passed away, those who have fallen asleep, as the, as the scripture uses that term. He says, because they will be resurrected. In fact, if we go back to 1 Thessalonians, we won't turn back there. He says, we are not going to even precede them. You think about it, they're in the ground, we're standing on top of the ground. He says, we won't get a jump on them, they will get a jump on us. He's going to raise them and then come as well for us. You say, well, why are you so wound up about this, Pastor? He says, because this is the, this is the core of our faith. This is the core of our hope. Not only did Jesus offer himself, which he told his disciples he was going to do, he says, but this I'm going to do only for a time because then there'll be a time when we will do it together. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we show the Lord's death until he comes. We say, well, why didn't you say we show his resurrection? Because these elements speak of death. They'll speak of the resurrection. But we know his body and his blood was taken so that we could live. That's the hope that we have. One of the questions that came up also to the church in Thessalonica was, do you really believe this? Do you believe the Lord is really coming? And I don't know what you want to say about the church in, in Thessalonica, but one thing is true. When they latched on to a truth, they latched on to it. When Jesus talked, when Paul talked in in chapter 4 about uh, the Lord coming to take his home, though his own home, 
They believed it. They believed it. How do we know? Because of what, what we read in 2 Thessalonians. They said, listen, if Christ is coming again and you say it's so, is it so? The answer is yes. He says, well, how do we get ready then? Well, do you know what the early church did in Thessalonica? Some of them were selling all their stuff. He says, well, I don't need any stuff. Not if I'm going to be caught up. If the Lord is coming again, I don't need this stuff. So they were selling their stuff. What were they doing? They were going up onto the hilltop. They say, we might as well be up there closer to heaven. So when the Lord comes, he'll get us. We'll be ready to go. <laughs> and Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians, and they said, mm, no, 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 that isn't how you get ready for the Lord to come back. Because what happened is after they sold all their stuff and they were up on their hillside, they didn't have any more resources. They quit their jobs. They're camping out up on the hilltop. And what do you do for lunch tomorrow? Well, I don't know. They sort of ask others for handouts, I guess. Those that didn't believe quite as fervently as we believe. So the question, if is he returning, shouldn't we be ready? Paul speaks to that too. He says, until he comes, we're to be faithful laborers on his behalf. Faithful laborers. We're not to sit on the top of the hillside and just twiddle our thumbs and say, well, I know the Lord is coming again. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. He says, no, it'd be faithful laborers. In 2 Thessalonians, we read uh, what Paul's response to some of their uh, actions, as he as he wrote to them in Second Thessalonians chapter three, he warns them against idleness. Chapter th three, verse six and following, he says, "Now I command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us." For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day so that we not, might not be a burden to any of you. In other words, he says, don't look to these who are hanging out on the top of the hill and they're just idle and bumming off everybody else says he's going to take an example look at what happened when we came in your midst and you may not recall what Paul had to say about that but we have it in his first letter so let's back it up a few moments into 1 Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 he says For you remember brothers our labor and toil we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God, you are our witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who called you into his own kingdom and his glory. So until he comes, Paul's admonition to the church, thinking about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on our behalf, that we are to be faithful laborers on his behalf. We're to then be about the work that he's called to us too. What is that? Well, beside whatever job you might have, Paul part-time was a tent maker, but he was a proclaimer. He says, he's given to us what? The ministry of reconciliation. He said in the Great Commission, I want you to make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe whatsoever I commanded you. He says, we have our instructions what we're to be about. He says, there's no time to sit on a hilltop. We should be about our labors. We should be sharing in this position of goods, if we have goods, by being people who earn them and then share with the others. Not a time to just sit and draw off others. And so we have this little phrase, until he comes, you show the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if, if you have a, a family member who passed away, don't be concerned about that. The Lord hasn't forgotten them. And if you're a person who says, well, we ought to go the other direction and just sit around and wait for him to come, he says, no, you have a responsibility day in and day out to labor on my behalf, to do those things until he comes. So the question might come, when is he coming? And the answer is, we don't know. Just be ready. Just be ready. So now we come to the Lord's table, which was the start of our conversation this morning anyway. He decided to eat the Passover and with it, he inaugurated the Lord's table, took a couple elements out of it, talked about his body being broken, his blood being shed on our behalf. So when we come to participate, we acknowledge a few things. First of all, it's just broken bread, just fruit of the vine, that's all it is. Doesn't change into anything. It's emblems that point to Jesus Christ. Who is the Lord's Supper for? It's for all those that know and love him. You have to be a member of our congregation. This is the Lord's table, not Woodland Baptist table. If you know and love the Lord, you're invited to participate. In a few moments, the men are going to come. We're going to share these elements, and in a given signal, we'll all partake together. What if you don't know Jesus? What if you haven't put your trust in him? There's no time like the present. No time like the present.
Now is the day of salvation. It says, how hard is it? Well, we, we write in our bulletin every week sort of a brief outline of, of the gospel. And it's the same because it doesn't change. <laughs> That's why it's the same. And then we acknowledge that we are sinners who have gone our own way, done our own thing, not given any accord to our God, our creator. We acknowledge then we have sinned and gone our own way. We need a savior and we can't save ourselves. And it's not through any effort of our part that we can do that. We are dependent upon the savior and we come back to the Lord's table again. He talked about his body being broken, his blood being shed. And we realized when he went to the cross, he did that thing that we should have done. We should die for our sins. But instead, he died for our sins. He never committed a, a sin. He was not guilty and deserving of death. We are the guilty ones and deserving of death. And he stood in our place and took the punishment for our sin upon himself. The glorious thing is he knew ahead of time where this was going to lead. This was going to lead to the salvation of many who put their trust in him. And that's the third element of the gospel. We need to put our trust in his gracious provision and acknowledge him as Lord and follow him. Do you know how long it takes to get saved? Just a moment or two. It can lead to a dramatic turn in a person's life. Going one way and go the other way. But if you're a believer this morning, you're welcome to participate. If you're not a believer and you're here this morning, why don't you con contemplate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf? We're going to give you a moment or two to go before the Lord to offer up your thanksgiving at so great a salvation and so rich a sacrifice on your behalf. And then we'll have the men come and share the elements. We're going to give you a, a couple moments just to go privately, quietly to the Lord in your heart. Offer up your words of thanksgiving. Maybe there's things that have gotten in the way. Jesus talked about it and used the picture of sandals. As they went. Peter said, well, you need to clean me all over. And the Lord said, no, you're clean all over. However, I do need to clean your feet <laughs> because they've gotten dusty on the way. Maybe you have dusty on the way. Maybe there's issues that you need to get straight out with the Lord. Confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'll give you a moment.
Heavenly Father, we're, we're here at the table again. We've been here many, many times. And it's just not a matter of repetition that finds us here, but a, an honest need on our part to examine our lives and to say how much we need you and how great a salvation was secured by your son on our behalf. And then also a time to renew, a time again to say, Lord, use me as, as you wish to be an ambassador for you, to make disciples of others. And Heavenly Father, to proclaim your great goodness and love for us. And so Heavenly Father, we come now to share these elements, to renew our, our walk with you, and to declare your great love for us. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to have the men come forward, if you would. Take the elements, and the first one is the broken unleavened bread. We'll pass it out. The hold on to it will give you a signal we'll partake together. Tom, would you lead us in prayer? Our precious and heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together here and to remember what you have done for us. For we so much do need you and the, the, your grace and mercy on our lives. We just thank you that we can partake of this broken bread, the broken body of Christ for our sins that we need. We just give you the thanks and the glory in Jesus' name. We take this first element, the broken matzah unleavened bread. Our pieces are small, but if we saw a whole sheet, you would see that there's crippling in it. And it reminds us again of what it cost Jesus to secure our salvation. Hell's fury was meted out on. Satan reveled in the fact that Jesus was put to death. But he didn't know that was part of God's plan to secure salvation for us. So I think this first element 
we think of Jesus Christ suffering in his body on our behalf. Let's eat in remembrance. We take the second element, it was the element after the meal part of the Passover, the third cup, and Jesus blessed it and gave it to his disciples. I ask Mike if you lead us in prayer. Lord, Father God, we thank you, we praise you for this great sacrifice that your son has done for us by taking our sins and shedding his blood on the cross for us, that through him we shall find salvation in you. We love you, Father, and let us live our lives out in glory to you for this sacrifice that gave us this freedom in life to share you to the world around us. May you be glorified, and in Jesus' mighty name we pray. come to the second element of the Lord's Supper, the fruit of the vine, the grape juice, but it points to the blood that was shed. All through the Old Testament into the New Testament, sacrifices were offered. Until Jesus Christ came along, John, the forerunner, pointed at Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that doesn't cover the sins of the world takes away the sins of the world. And there was a change then that when Jesus offered up himself, he was able to satisfy the holiness of God and procure salvation for all who believe. Let's drink to that new covenant in his blood. 